Thank you so much for tuning in to WDRT. You're listening to The Skeptical Naturopath with Paul Rattay and his sidekick, Christina DeRocher. Good morning, Paul. Hi, Christina. Well, maybe I'm the sidekick. I really doubt that. <laughs> it's a percentage thing. You talk more. Oh, gotcha. All right. So we're here to talk about toxins this morning. Where do toxins come from? Oh, the evil toxins that are going to kill us. Yes. Everywhere. Everywhere. They're answer, everywhere. Right? <laughs> yes. Toxins. So I think an important distinction is to d uh, distinguish between exogenous toxins, meaning toxins coming from outside of your body, from the environment, mm -hmm. from the byproduct of civilization, everything that we do, and then endogenous toxins. So these are toxins that are created in the body. Yes. So f and examples of those are just like the, the sex hormones, so testosterone, estrogen, which we absolutely need as for reproduction. And yet you're calling them a toxin. Yeah, if you look them up, they're carcinogens. If you look up carcinogens and you look at estrogen, it's considered a carcinogen. I can't remember what class it's in. I can't believe I've already learned something new in the oh, first 30 yeah, seconds well, of this. I mean, so it's a carcinogen. So we know that we've given estrogen to women and we like realize like, oh, this is a problem. It causes breast cancer, oh, causes guess, endometrial cancer. Right. It's a carcinogen. I didn't put, I guess I didn't put it together and I would have thought maybe just excess would have been the toxin, but it's the thing itself. Yeah. But when we talk about toxins, it's always about dose and it's about duration. Okay. Right. So it's about how much are you consuming or how much are you uh, exposed to, and then how long are you exposed to that? So could we say that estrogen itself isn't the toxin? It's the duration and the amount? Well, okay. So, so we say a toxin, and then we have a, a good or bad response to that. We say, oh, my God, it's a carcinogen. I, I can't. Yeah, but we're not going to reproduce without estrogen. We're not going to reproduce without testosterone. Correct. So we need those, but they have a quote-unquote toxic effect. What does that mean? What does so that what does mean? it mean that it's a toxin? And so generally fat-soluble or lipid-soluble items are toxins, and water-soluble items are not toxins. Because they can um, move Generally, because they're the flushed out of the body really quickly, right? Yeah. So for example, with vitamins and minerals, or with vitamins. So we have fat-soluble vitamins, we have water-soluble vitamins. So fat-soluble vitamins have more of a potential for toxicity because they're stored in the body. Mm -hmm. Water-soluble vitamins tend to be non-toxic because they're not stored in the body, right? Which also means that perhaps how much we eat of them and how often we eat them and when we eat them is more important. Maybe we need the water-soluble vitamins more on a regular basis, and the fat-soluble vitamins we don't necessarily need every day. Hmm. Anyways, that's just looking at a vitamin. Yes, now we're talking about a toxin. Now that toxin is something that's going to challenge your quote-unquote detoxification pathways, right? So in other words, the body has to turn that fat-soluble. And again, this is general, right? So there's some water-soluble things that can be toxic too, right? So the, but for the most part, generally speaking, we've got a fat-soluble toxin that now has to be converted into something that can be uh, eliminated from the body. Mm -hmm. So we need to make it water-soluble or at least more water-soluble. So it can be dealt with in the bile from the liver or it can be, you know, excreted in the urine via the kidneys, right? So that part of that process is transforming, right? So detoxification is actually a transformation. You're changing a toxin into a different form. You're changing the form of You're changing the chemistry of that so you can now eliminate it from the body. I think that's an interesting piece of information as well because, you know, a lot of times you hear about releasing toxins simply as a flushing, not not talking about the transformation that happens before. Yes. So we always think of it as just flushing. We're flushing the toilet and boom, it's gone. Mm -hmm. Yes. But how did we get to a point that we could flush the toilet? Right. I, it's not just some, you know, process that we are in control. We say, oh, we do this and boom, it's gone. It's like, oh, this is constant, you know, background process that happens in the body to deal with all of these things that we come in contact with on a regular daily basis, whether it's from inside our body or whether it's from outside our body. It's just that we tend to focus more on the outside the body thing, right? This is the environmental thing, mm -hmm. which is for sure a problem. Don't get me wrong, right? So DDT, for example, right? DDT used as a mosquito spray. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, now understand that DDT is a bad guy, yet stays in the environment forever. 
don't know if it's forever, but a long time, a long time. So it doesn't degrade. And I don't know that we knew that when we started using it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the story. Debate, that. Probably. Yeah, probably up for debate. <laughs> but regardless, it doesn't go away. So if we look at breast milk in the United States in women in the United States, 100 percent of it has traces of DDT in it. Mm. So you're like, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. We've put it in the environment and it stays there. But the question is, is well, what's the amount of it? How, how much is it? And, and what dose is DDT toxic to us? At what dose is it going to cause cancer or cause other abnormalities? And do we know that? And, and it probably has something to do with where the women are living, right? And well, how much they're exposed to. Correct. Right. Yes, so that's an exposure thing. So if you can decrease your exposure, that would be an important thing. But you can't decrease it completely unless right. you live in a bubble. Right. Right. You remember the boy in the bubble? Yes. That, oh, it was yes. John Travolta, wasn't it? God, a long time ago. This after school <laughs> special. We are dated here. Yes. <laughs> we're dating uh, ourselves. Any, anyway, so the idea is how we're transforming it, how we're changing these things, how we're making it into something else or, or changing the chemistry of that. Okay. So DDT is in the environment. It's not going away. But how much DDT is in the environment? Do we have high amounts? Do we have low amounts? Are they minuscule amounts? We just focus on it because we've, it's a, it's a talk. It's I a mean, boogeyman. It's for sure, yes. The issue is that we don't consider things like coffee and alcohol. Well, what's wrong with coffee? Everybody well, drinks well, coffee. Again, everybody drinks coffee, but what is it? There's a thousand different chemicals that have been identified in coffee. <sighs> what would I say? 28 of them have been tested? I, I have to cheat and look at my little cheat sheet yes. here, yes? What was the what was the balance on coffee? Yeah, uh, uh, one thousand eighty four. Oh, that's, that's that's food substances. So coffee hmm. was. Uh, there it is, right at the bottom. Twenty eight have been tested, and nineteen are rodent carcinogens. Thank you. Need my cheat sheet. That's yeah. that my kick, my sidekick. My comes, sidekick. comes through right. <laughs> so twenty eight of the thousand have been tested. So we haven't right, uh, a thousand. Is it a thousand? Yes. So that means it's there's nine hundred and seventy have not been tested, and twenty-eight have been tested, and nineteen of them are carcinogens. Now keep in mind they're only testing the ones that they think are carcinogenic, right? To give this due, due diligence, like we're not going to test all nine hundred and eighty. And do you know how costly it is to start to do testing on this kind of thing? Probably pretty expensive. Yeah, it's pretty expensive because then we do rat studies, and then we have to give rats doses. And we have to see, you know, what's the lethal dose and what's the 50, you know, there's all these characteristics that we do to determine toxicity because we don't take humans and do it because that would be unethical. But rats are okay. That's, another, that's are another okay. discussion. Well, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so that's coffee. So 19 are rodent carcinogens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you we know, what, be... what about the coffee and how much contact do we have with coffee? Compared daily. to DDT. Yeah, daily. Yeah, alcohol is the same deal, right? I mean, alcohol, lots of potential carcinogens and other things in alcohol. But yet we kind of discount that because it's, I don't know, socially acceptable or it's not that much. And granted, yes, the dose that you need of alcohol to do these things is much higher. But understand, you drink two alcoholic drinks every night there's some significant exposure, right? And I would say, yeah, don't drink two glasses of DDT, you know, spirits every night. That would be much more problematic. But I understand that we, we're not, we have to figure out how to talk about apples and oranges. You know, we have to try to balance the apples and the oranges. So we ignore the oranges and we only focus on the ones that are, you know, front and center. Things that are in the environment, things that the evil industry has produced. For sure. But again, we over-focus on that and we don't focus on sort of the other things that we're just getting on a regular day-to-day basis. Right? Celery is another example. Right? Oh, so celery, yeah, so right. celery naturally has naturally occurring pesticides in it. It has sorolins in it that like, causes photosensitive photodermatitis, so you get eczema and other things. Right? So this is just a naturally occurring substance that's in celery. And you said the people who harvest it have to wear gloves. Yeah, they wear gloves because they may get eczema on their hands. That's so this is amazing. the idea, but that's orga- but it could be organic, right? So it's organic, but it still has sorolins in it. So it's not sprayed with pesticides. Great. I mean, I'm all for not spraying with pesticides, but I'm just saying there's natural pesticides. In and, all vegetables. In all vegetables. 
because they're protecting themselves. So that's how they've adapted to an environment so that they can reproduce, right? So if they're getting eating by, eaten by pests, and a salary. Right. There's no more salary to go around. <laughs> so again, this is the natural course of things, but can we really distinguish between a natural pesticide and a chemical pesticide? They're both potentially damaged, you know, they're both potentially problematic, but somehow we just have this bias toward it's chemical, it's synthetic, that's a bad guy. And again, nothing, I don't think that's wrong, it's just that somehow we give carte blanche to the, you know, the, the natural Every pesticides. Day. We're like, well, that's just naturally occurring. Oh, that's just what's in coffee. Risk benefit, I can work my day and I can get more work done. It's worth the potential toxic load that I have. But then the study comes out and says, oh, but coffee has antioxidants in it. So it's protective, yeah. Some of those chemicals that are in coffee have beneficial effects. But do those beneficial effects outweigh the negative effects? And how can you tell? I don't know. I mean, can you tell? You can't tell. So this is complex, bio, uh, complex biochemistry or complex chemistry. I mean, w w what am I going to do with that? We can ask chemists, and they, they, they may not know, but they have a better idea of trying to put that in perspective. But they're just looking at, well, here's the mechanism, and here's the, the process that occurs, and here's the transformation, and here's the... Here's how we can reproduce that, that kind of thing. But then we have to say, yeah, but what do, what do we do day to day? Right? Well, what's the, what's the bottom line here? Mm -hmm. Do we need to worry about these things? But my point being is that estrogen is an example. So somehow, you know, so we can take synthetic estrogen that's, you know, Premarin made from pregnant mare's urine. And we're like, oh, I don't want to do the Premarin. And Premarin has active estrogen that, you know, will affect a woman's body or a man's body. And it also has sort of, inactive or not human um, uh, estrogen. So they don't really have an effect, but still the body has to clear them. So they can be considered a toxin. But again, that's synthetic mm -hmm. or derived from pregnant mare's urine versus what's produced in a woman's body. Mm -hmm. So that's would be what we would, um, you know, and is there any difference if it's what we call USP, United States Pharmacopeia means that's identical to what's produced in the woman's body. So that's safer? Just because it's USP? No. Or what we call bioidentical. So yes. we'd say bioidentical hormones. Mm -hmm. right? So but bioidentical, oh, well, that's safe. It's bioidentical. It's the same as what's produced in the woman's body. But I'm like, yeah, but that's still a potential carcinogen. Right, right. Maybe it's safer, but is it safe? There's still a risk benefit. There's a risk benefit if you use estrogen. So then the question is if you use a phytoestrogen, a plant-based estrogen, yes, which is going to sort of have some effect on the estrogen receptor. Is that a, a good thing? Is that a bad thing? It still has some potential. It binds to an estrogen receptor that maybe there's some ill effects from that. But I'm going to say much lower, right? But we're always, you know, kind of valuing or evaluating for risk and benefit. Like, how toxic is this? And understand the toxicity of something's also going to depend on the individual. So right. one person may be much more susceptible to the toxic effect of a substance versus somebody else. Mm -hmm. Oh, now we're talking an N of one. Back to right? the Remember N the of N of one, yes. that this yes. is each individual needs to be identified as an individual, and we have to work with the individual. Mm -hmm. Public health, you know, disease-based medicine is not based on N of one. It's based on N of 350 million, right? That's how many people in the United States. So we'd just say, if you have this disease, this is what we do. We don't care about you. I mean, it's not that we don't care about you. It's just that well, we're looking at the is diagnosis. We can't, with our range, we can't take just you into consideration. We have to do the protocol. Yes. And then, again, individuals will come and say, well, I don't want to do that. Can I do something else? And then, then, you know, then there may be a conversation to say maybe we lose use a lower dose or maybe we use something else or, you know, you can't tolerate it, right, or becomes clinical trial and error. Mm -hmm. But generally, conventional medicine is based on a diagnosis perspective, right? Mm -hmm. We figure out what the diagnosis is and then we get all attached to the diagnosis instead of being attached to the processes that play a role in that. Say more about that. Well, so you get rheumatoid arthritis. So I have a I have a disease. Oh, I have rheumatoid arthritis. What does that mean? You look it up. You go to Dr. Google. You see things and you find things that you can do. And you see diets that may affect that. You know, supplements and or what are the drugs that I use? And you are now treating rheumatoid arthritis. You're oh, treating a manifestation of a disease. As opposed to you as a whole. With so the why do picture. I have rheumatoid arthritis? What happens in my physiology 
that sets me up for that. Why am I, quote unquote, susceptible to rheumatoid arthritis? Do I just treat the inflammation to make the inflammation go away? Or am I looking at, what have I been doing for 60 years that set me up for this? Mm -hmm. Or are there things in my lifestyle that I could potentially modify that may change the course of rheumatoid arthritis? Ah. That's what I'm interested in. But guess what? That's not an easy, quick, here, take this herb and it's going to fix this. Right. That's not that I don't use herbs, but it's just the context in which you use them, right? But, mm-hmm. but anyways, that's the aspect of the 350 million instead of the N of one. So, I mean, it's susceptibility too, right? So how do you become less susceptible to the toxins in the environment? So how is it that we all are exposed to DDT and some of us may be affected by it and others may not? Or how is it that we could do it so that the estrogen produced in one woman's body is not a problem for her compared to the estrogen in another woman's body? Now understand, each individual woman will produce different levels of estrogen based on their cycle and this kind of thing, right? So that's another wild card that comes into that. That's really hard to test and to know but we can see the effects of that, right? right? So you can see right. polycystic ovaries, or you can see endometriosis, you can see fibrocystic breasts, which would tell me, wow, you're not managing your estrogen very well. Right, and so one thing that comes to me from my you know, macrobiotic past is we need to make sure that we are strong enough to detoxify throughout yes. our life. Yes. That's important because yes. we're all, you know, I mean, not all, we're not all, um, getting the same amount of toxicity externally or even internally, but what is it about our condition that we can create the kind of sustainability where we can detoxify regularly? Exactly. This okay. is the whole my whole point with obstacles to cure, yes? I mean, this is a perfect example of obstacles. So what's in the way? Why is this background process of detoxification, which is happening all of the time, why is it not working? Right. In macrobiotics, we would say even blinking, breathing, sweating, these are all detoxification processes, right? Of it's course. happening all the time. All the time. And understand, so what is the most important thing to do to allow your body to detoxify better? I'm asking you a question, right? I know. Because I'm a teacher, <laughs> and I, it's really hard for me to not ask questions. I, you know, I mean, one thing is watching what you're eating. Well, so that's exposure. Yeah. So don't eat something that's toxic. So right. eat organic food. Yeah, I mean, organic food is going to be cleaner. Less packaged and less packaged. stay away from seed oils. Yeah, for sure. Those are, you know, I think seed oils are a problem. I think refined carbohydrates are a problem. So do your best to stay away from those. You stay away from packaged food, you're generally going to be, you won't have exposure to those things because right. those are in, well, not completely, but, you know, eat real food. You change it into something. Don't let the food industry change it into it. But what's really important? So that's, that's reducing your exposure. So what is going to have the most effect on the susceptibility? Uh, you're cheating now. I am cheating. Looking I'm looking at, at my cheat. notes because I, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> wow, he's looking for something very specific. Is it the strength of your liver and your gallbladder? Yes, yeah, so it is the strength of the liver and the gallbladder at the end of the day. But how do you keep the liver gallbladder from not being burdened with or not being able to clear the toxins that they're working. Or, you know, so the liver, and it's not just the liver, all cells in your body have the ability to do that. It's just kind of the liver is a concentrated yes. place of lots of activity happening. Yes. And so the liver is constantly doing this, right? Constantly sort of tasting what's going on in the bloodstream and saying, oh, well, we got to do this or we got to do this. And it is in an, it does anabolic stuff. It does catabolic. It builds up. It breaks, breaks down, down. It does all sorts of things. And we want it to be working on you know, making enzymes to clear the toxins. So what would detract that? So what would, what would side, what would sideline the liver? I'm going to use this opportunity to buy a little more time (laughs) by saying thank you so much for listening to listener supported WDRT. You're listening to the skeptical naturopath with Paul Rattay and his obviously unintelligent sidekick, Christina DeRocher. Thanks so much. Uh, perhaps I set you up. <laughs> I know. Yes, I, I, don't I don't know what, you know, like I'm not thinking about something very, very specific. Yeah. So uh, so the way I look at things, too, I think I've said this, is that it's the onion metaphor, 
right? So I have this onion idea, right? Yes. So what's at the core of the onion, what's on the outside of the onion, right? So we talk about rheumatoid arthritis and that's inflammation, right? Joint inflammation and this kind of thing. That's outer layer, we see it, we wanna deal with that, but what's underneath the inflammation, right? You peel off the sure. layer and you're like, what's underneath that? And that's like your looking, immune system. Looking not at just the symptoms, but the underlying cause. Exactly, right. and this is messy, right? This is a gray area, it's not black and white. Right. Conventional medicine really doesn't want to have anything to do with this because it's completely individual. And if it's individual, I got to spend more time with yes. somebody to understand that. And I have to have the and context. And even if they want to, the system is not built that yeah, it's way. It's not built you've that got way. got a 20-minute Yeah, you've got 20 minutes. I, I mean, I can't do it in 20 minutes. I need to know somebody. I need to get the story. I need to know what they've done, what's worked, what hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so you peel off the layers of the onion. And detox is underneath there, yes? So, I mean, immune system would be a little... Immune and detox are sort of on the same level, I think. But what when we peel off that that detox layer, what's underneath <laughs> that? Digestion. Oh, digestion. It's all about digestion. Oh, I'm so yes. sorry. My spiritual no, no, father okay. in heaven right now is going, are you kidding Ooh. me? I wrote a book called The End of Medicine, which is all about detoxifying the um, large intestine in order to improve digestion. And he believed that was the absolute seat of health. Yes. Yes, I'm I sorry, agree. Cora. I agree. Yes, so this is all about having good digestion. Yes. And that means that your ability to break down the foods that you come in contact with, the ability to absorb what's there and keep things out that you don't want there, and the ability to eliminate them. Right. So right. I was doing Crucial. step two and three, uh, making sure that your liver and gallbladder are healthy through the foods that you're eating and the lifestyle that you're living. But ultimately, what you're doing is going straight for digestion. Yes. That, that will support so this is a sidetrack thing that happens. So people think I got to detoxify and detoxification means I'm going to do two week cleanse. I'm going to drink green juice. I'm going to do these things, which I have no problem with. Yes, I think that's really important. But what are you accomplishing when you do a detoxification or you're going to take supplements for that, right? I mean, you can ask any herbalist in town and we can give you a whole list of you know, herbs that are beneficial for liver gallbladder function. And there's going to be varieties of you know, sort of the nuances of some herbs are stronger than others and how do you combine them, right? So there's sort of a, an, art, an art perspective of putting this together based on the individual, yes. yes, right? So you, and again, it's not just like you have one formula and you're like, oh, this is my liver detox formula. I mean, actually I do have that, but it's more like a multivitamin that I use with people. And it's something that's not covering all the bases. It's just like, if you were to tell me you're going to take a multivitamin, I would say take liver support. Take take a, take something that's more geared on your liver gallbladder than that's geared for everything else. Yeah. So I use it that way. So it's still not precise, right? It's sort of a shotgun. Um, but then you can use specific things. But then that's getting into all this. Oh, I got to take a bunch of supplements. I got to take antioxidants. And I'm, again, I'm not opposed to that. But what's the what's the what's the goal of detoxification? And so when you're doing this green, you know, the green juice fast, that kind of thing, what's the effect of that? What, what, what's the real benefit? Well, I think it lets your body rest. Of course. So you're, 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 not, digesting. you're not digesting anything. Mm -hmm. So if you don't eat, you don't digest. Right. A funny thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. So just don't eat. Cause and effect. Yeah, right. So, so if you don't eat, you rest the digestive tract, and then the liver says, oh, I can focus on other things. I don't have to digest and deal with all these macronutrients that are coming my way. I can actually allocate more of my energy toward detoxification. And remember, detoxification is a synthetic process. So it's not just a breakdown process. We're breaking down or we're transforming the chemical or the toxin. But the liver is making enzymes. It's building enzymes to be able to do that. So it requires energy. What's the definition of synthetic in that? Making usage? something. Oh, making, making something. something. Okay, right. synthesize. 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 Yeah. Okay. Because so when I think of synthetic, I think of yeah. not natural. But right? synthetic is something that we put together, right? right? We Good. took things okay. from nature and figured out how to Got manipulate it. that and do that. Got it. Okay. So sorry. so so it's a it's a anabolic, right? It requires energy for you to detoxify. It's right. not just something that comes for free. But you're like, well, I'm not I'm not eating, so I'm detoxifying. You're just allowing the liver to do what to focus on that aspect of the physiology instead of focusing on the digestion part right. of things. And if you're not strong enough, if you're not healthy enough to do that, it can actually be a detriment. Correct. So some people um, 
what would I say? So this is like tonification, so tonifying. So understand that, you know, so fasting or figuring out some way to decrease the caloric load or, you know, going about this will be beneficial in improving detoxification. But in some people, that may be too much deficiency with them, right? Mm -hmm. So if they're quote-unquote deficient. So, for example, people that are... Um, you know, eating disorders, for example, right? This is a big deal that, I mean, oftentimes they're very deficient because they're just not eating enough calories and there's not enough protein. And then, you know, they'll use, I mean, detoxification is like, oh, wow, this is something that I knew to, need to do to clean my body. But they're so deficient to begin with that that's not a good thing, not right? So that's, that's something that, I mean, I have to be aware of that in the clinic too, that who is who is who do we do this with instead of just saying everybody should just do a four-day water fast yes yeah i mean uh i mean i've done a four-day water fast right that's the longest i've gone on just water right uh -huh. i'm not talking about adding anything else to it but you didn't add anything to the water no well i just it was just spring water so oh, okay. when but i did this was a vision fast so it was I, I had water that was given to me, so I wasn't necessarily even adding electrolytes to it, right, okay. which would be what, what I would do. What but would I, do. They, it was spring water, so, but they gave it to me. Right? Interesting. So it was, but, but so does everybody need to do that, and is everybody strong enough to do that? And you're just like, I'm just not going to, I'm just, not, you know, I'm just going to fast. But, but regardless, that's the important part, right? Because you're just now allowing the liver and the, all the detoxification pathways in your body to work better. Right. Right. Fasting accelerates detoxification. And understand, even an overnight fast. Mm -hmm. So you 12-hour fast before you breakfast, eat breakfast, break fast. Right. Right? Break fast, that's what breakfast is. Right. Um, you've, you've done something even overnight, so going 12 hours. There's some benefit to that. Right. The thing is, though, it's the, you know, after about 10 hours, 8 hours is where you're getting more of the detoxification effect, right? So you eat a meal your body's going to spend a certain period of time managing what you just ate. Correct. It's not like gone in 30 minutes. Right. You clear from your digestive tract, but it's still your body's doing all the kind of the background work on that to say, oh, well, we need to store this and we need to convert it into this. And we need, you know, there's all that, all that stuff that's happening in the background. So let's say that's maybe four hours, maybe that's six hours. You know, it's going to be individual for each person, right? How quickly they metabolize. But then they'll get to the point where now they're in sort of this free mode where their liver's like, oh, well, now I'm done sort of processing the meal. Now I can focus on other things. It's sort of the metaphor of I, I'm done, you know, hanging out in my house. I, you know, everything is ready up here. Now I can go down into the basement and deal with all the old stuff hanging exactly. out there. Go through exactly. some old stuff. Perfect, uh, perfect metaphor. And right? you had a great analogy. Go into the trash analogy. Because oh, that's yeah, really so the, important to yeah, understand. So the, now we look at kind of the liver detoxification pathways. So again, keep in mind, it's not just the liver. All cells in the body have the ability to do this. It's just the liver is concentrated. Focus, you know, that's where much of it's concentrated and where it happens. So there's phase one and phase two. In fact, they've labeled phase three and they've labeled some other things too. But phase one and phase two are pretty well established in chemistry land, right? So this is basically a, chem, a chemical, chemical process. So phase one is what we call the cytochrome P450 system. So this is a system of enzymes that are based and they're all isomers, meaning they're, very, they're identical, they look the same, but they have a little bit different function. And there's all sorts of variants of this. So for example, estrogen requires certain variants of the P450 system to break it down, to metabolize it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so yeah, this is chemistry, right? Yeah. Yeah, let's stay away. God bless you, that's yeah, what yeah. I keep wanting yeah, to say. Exactly. <laughs> so that's phase one, and that's basically what it's doing is it's changing, it's, a, it's um, putting, you know, it's, uh, it's changing the chemical structure of something to make it to be more water soluble. There we go, okay. So phase one may be enough that you just go through this cytochrome P450 and then your liver or your kidneys can pitch it, mm -hmm. right? Then there's also phase two. So phase two is a little bit different. So phase two is not so much an enzyme system. I mean, there's enzymes involved, but it's more of a conjugation pathway. So conjugation means now you're adding something to that. 
So simplistically, phase one sort of exposes a site on the molecule, and then phase two comes by and puts a group into that, right? Like a methyl group or a, whatever. I mean, there's it's chemistry. Something something is added, it's added to, to phase that, right? two it's conjugation because added it, to the molecule, and it needs to be added to it in order again just to get it out the door yeah, to because make it, it wasn't able to get out the door with the first stage. This correct. is another special kind of detoxification. Correct. So some toxins, some chemicals, some whatever, hormones, whatever, need to go through both steps. Mm -hmm. Some may just go through phase one. Some may just go through phase two. All you need to do is add a, add a group to it. Mm -hmm. And so it's completely different. It depends on the, uh, on the, you know, the chemical that mm -hmm. you're dealing with. And again, obviously things that are more potentially more toxic generally are going through both phase one and phase two, right? It requires more work by the body to do that. What's interesting in phase two is you actually, those are amino groups that are added, meaning they're protein-based. So you need protein to be able to run your phase two. So oftentimes when somebody's not eating at all, right? So I do my four-day water fast. I mean, I'm depleting myself. So I'm depleting my phase two pathway actually slows down, whereas my phase one pathway speeds up and it's your your phase two slows down because of the lack of protein. Because of the lack of protein. So this is the kind of thing that is actually going to get. Uh, I mean, this is a problem with fasting long term, right? Somebody goes on a hunger strike or whatever, right? It's protein deficiency. It's protein that we absolutely have to have in the body. Carbohydrates and fat. The body is like, whatever. I can go a long time without any carbohydrates and without any fat, but I cannot go a long time without protein. And the body adapts to that. Right, so in, in other words, initially when you don't eat, it'll start using protein for energy and other things. But then all of a sudden the body says, oh, wait a minute, I can't keep using that protein because I'm going to start breaking down the muscle mass or I'm going to start breaking down the body to do this, not breaking down fat, breaking down like functional, functional tissue. Mm -hmm. And the body doesn't want to do that. So it's like, oh, wait, we got to slow things down here. We got to change that. We got to start recycling things and we need to not be breaking down protein to do this. So there's this adaptation to fasting that occurs, right? And there's, so you can kind of say the fasting that happens 12 hours after you fast, after you haven't eaten a meal. Then there's sort of the intermediate fasting period from like, let's say, 12 hours to two days. And then there's two days to seven days. And then there's seven days and beyond. So there's mm -hmm. different things happening in the body on that. It's not just a one or zero. Wow. Yeah, it's not just like you're on or you're off. Mm -hmm. There's all these sort of, you know, new biochemical adaptations that occur to preserve things, right? Because it's based on the body saying, well, I don't have any energy and I still need to have energy to run my brain, to run my heart. I can't not have energy, right? right? That's ATP, right? That's the fancy term, right? Adenosine triphosphate is the energy <laughs> currency in the body, but we need ATP. Okay. Whether it's coming from fat, from protein, from carbohydrates, it doesn't matter. But if you don't have ATP, you're dead. Yes. Okay. So the body is highly motivated to make sure that ATP is there. It's just like, where am I getting it from? And depending on what else is going on in the body, I'm going to do that or not do that. Regardless. So this is the idea that, you know, to fast or to not eat and rest that digestive system just allows the liver to do that. So that phase one, phase two is kind of the garbage, my garbage metaphor. Yes, right? So it's garbage right. in your house that you're trying to get to the dump. So it's a two-step process. You put the garbage out Monday morning, that's phase one. And then waste management comes around once a week, picks it up, takes it to the dump, that's phase two. Mm -hmm. Right. So somebody, so you know, that's the classic two-step process. Now, some people may just take the garbage from their kitchen and go right to the dump. Right. right? They don't need that's phase, phase two. one. Right. And then other, maybe on other people, they pay waste management to come in the house and take the garbage out of the house, right? <laughs> so then that's just phase two, right? So there's variations on a theme on this. Yeah. But so there's, there's the potential of what you can call imbalanced detoxification, right? Where some people are running phase one much quicker than they run phase two. I'll just give this as an example because I know because I've tested this. I mean, I've done genetic testing on myself as well as challenge testing that I'm an imbalanced detoxifier. And about 20% of the population is imbalanced detoxifiers, meaning that I have a tendency to run phase one quicker than I have to, raise, to, to uh, run phase two. So coffee, for example, is something that kind of triggers this a bit, right? Coffee is... Um, metabolized rather quickly in phase one, and then it's then it's kind of cleared in phase two, because I'm imbalanced. Coffee really affects me more, right? So it's easy for me not to drink coffee because I don't feel so good when I drink coffee, oh. or I have a lower tolerance to that. 
and it's based on my basically my detoxification pathways yes yeah. so how i respond to that is different because of the chemistry that i have the genetics that i have this kind of thing so you can i would posit that you can change over time then as well in your lifetime because i used to be able to drink a pot of coffee a day and unfortunately i did do that in my early 20s not a literal pot but maybe three cups yes. in a day and um, there came a time right after I gave birth to my daughter that I couldn't touch coffee with a 10-foot pole. It would give me a migraine within 10, 24 hours. And I mean laid on the couch, migraine all day. And I noticed that chocolate had the same effect. Just now, I'm you know 12 years later, I'm starting to, um, just for the fun of it, because it is such a you know uh, culturally accepted thing to have chocolate everywhere and coffee everywhere. I'm just now starting to play around with it again, and I notice that it doesn't have the intense effects anymore. So I would think that I must have been in a process of not having a good phase two. Possibly, right? So if we label it that way, but regardless is you have symptoms from that, right? Something that I did before, I can't do now. And I know what happens and I do it again and then it happens yeah, and then right. I do it again and it happens. Do we care that it's phase two? I mean, this is us just taking a magnifying <laughs> glass and trying sure. to figure that out. Sure. But still, it's something that you were able to tolerate and now you're not able to tolerate. Why is that? Why is now, that? Now that's the important question, yes? The the huge thing that changed was that I was now a mother and breastfeeding and, you know, and I think Different that that demands. had a huge... Yeah. So when you stopped breastfeeding, did it did it get better? Well, I don't think so, and I think I was gun shy because it was such an intense uh, reaction. Right. So it's only been in the last couple of years. So that's ten years after discovering the issue that I've started to you know delve into more a little more coffee. And so coffee. that goes back to are you healthy enough to detoxify that? Right. So is something going on? Am I deficient? Is there something that needs tonification? Like what do I need to do? And maybe I had created a deficiency through being pregnant too right maybe i didn't i mean, I mean that's you pretty want intense to put it up for sure right change. that's like boom that's you know it has an effect that lasts it's not just like oh it's nine months it's over right right it's recovery and do you get back to that and i mean it's it's yeah i don't want to call it war that's the wrong metaphor right what's a better what's a better metaphor on that i mean we willingly do that to say this is you know i'm i'm allocating my life force to another human being mm -hmm. and as a male i should have no say on this whatsoever correct <laughs> correct i could say nothing except thank you all right Anyway, so, but that's the interesting, like, why something is a problem that wasn't a problem. And again, the genes don't change, right? So for all intents and purposes, for me, I'm always going to have that issue because I, I think it's a genetic piece, right? Now, granted, I think that as my gut works better and, you know, I've done these things, perhaps my tolerance is improved. Right. But I'm not going to run out and drink coffee. Because no. coffee still may not bother me quite the same, but that's because I'm perhaps cleaning up other things, yes? So that's the weight on the scale. Right, so coffee we know is a toxin. The question is, are you healthy enough to drink coffee and not have a problem? Are you healthy enough to drink alcohol and not have a problem with that? I don't know, but you are kind of playing Russian roulette. I mean, it's not good for you, right? It, there, I mean, the benefits, okay, the, the the health benefits, I would say, no health benefits. You get certainly, I'm able to get more done. I'm alive. I'm alert. It's 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 helping me focus and concentrate in this kind. Of, great, right? That's a benefit. I'm not denying that. Yeah. It's just what's the risk that goes with it. And if the risk is attenuated over 50 years, you'd be like, I don't care. <laughs> well, why am I going to worry about it? Because I'm getting some, done, something done right now and I'll pay the cost later. And again, if we think the cost is really minuscule, who cares? But if the cost is a little bit more, maybe we need to pay attention to that. I mean, we could start looking at foods in the diet too, right? People reacting to foods, right? You could have a mild reaction. You could have a strong reaction. And then right. how much do you want to change that or not change it? Do you want to say, hey, this is a problem for me. I need to avoid this or I need to stay away from it. And maybe I can get it once in a while or to the point that you can't eat gluten because you get bloody diarrhea. You know, you're going to be highly motivated to not ever get any gluten whatsoever versus is there a little bit of tolerance to gluten that you're like, I eat a little bit. I'm OK. And maybe I have some symptoms, but I eat more Then it's more of a problem again. This is a real messy area. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. how much do you want to take responsibility for it, right? Yeah. And that things change over time, because I don't think the liver detoxification pathways improve with age. They still work. 
Yeah, but I but mean, so how do we afford but, that? But aren't there, but how aren't do there we cases when people really do put in the effort to build? Yeah, but they're better. taking, they're removing the burden, right? It's not like we're so. Is it that I take all the magic liver support supplements, that kind of thing, and that's going to do it for me, and I can continue to eat at McDonald's and I can continue to wreak havoc on my body? Versus like, oh, well, maybe I have to pay attention to the things that sneak in the back door that really play a role in this. Right. And again, that's eating more fresh fruits and vegetables. It's eating non-processed foods, right? It's all these things that for sure go a long way. But people will say, well, why do I need to do that? I'm healthy. Yeah, but what is healthy? And you, that, is it an absence of disease? Or is it this sluggishness? Or is it this inability to wake refreshed every morning? Or is this this inability to fall asleep properly at night? Is this this kind of lingering fatigue in the afternoon, right? Things that we don't pay any attention to. We're like, I ah, just drink coffee, I'm fine. Instead of like being honest and saying, wow, you know, this is, this is, I'm not, I just, I'm a little off. I'm not quite the same. I notice something's different. And then this is why people then do a detox. So they do something for two weeks or four weeks or whatever it is, which I'm all for, right? I mean, two years of my practice, I did that for every single patient I saw. Oh. Every single patient got a, a 30 day detox from me. Wow. I don't do that anymore. Not that I'm not interested in it, but it's not like a routine. But so that's, Again, not an N01, right? Because it's an end of however many people I see, everybody gets the detox program. Well, yeah. I learned that not everybody needs a detox program. And yes, some people, you detox them, they get worse. Right. I, I'm, again, that's, you, I, I can do better than that, right? But still, there's just the practice part to say, you know, let's do this. Now, people feel great when they do that. Well, not everybody, but some people feel great after they do a detox. And then they go back and retox. <laughs> Right, then they go back to what they were doing before. So you're saying you can detox, that's great, but you need to strengthen yourself beforehand, and then you could also reflect on what needs to change long-term so that you maybe even don't need to yes. fast at least as regularly yes. as you may have to if you continue to retoxify. That's right. And what happens is when people do a detox, they change a lot of things. Right. They're very aggressive for a short period yeah. of time, which I'm fine with. I'm going to do yoga. But gonna... the thing is, which one of those really made the difference? And if it was two of those 10 things that you changed, wouldn't you say, I'm going to continue to do those two things? Because don't you want to feel fabulous for the rest of your life? If you feel really good after you do a detox, I would say you have the potential to feel that way every day. So be Figure it out, right? You gotta figure out what is the what what things that I'm doing influence this. And then you can maybe say, Oh, I'm gonna add things one at a time. Or, you know, in this time when I was doing detox with everybody, I give them medical food, right? So I give them something that basically they could use that to live on. Right. Yes. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, the medical food was fantastic. Can I keep taking the medical food? I'm like, yeah, but I doubt that that's the reason that you felt better. It's probably all the things you removed. Yes, And exactly. you turned off the television and you walked every day. And you, you, you do you understand that this is this is like trying to now figure out which of those variables made the biggest difference. But I'm like, you feel fantastic. I'm a little worried you're gonna come back to me next year and you're gonna report like, wow, Paul, I felt really good when I did that detox. Can I do it again? I'd be like, yeah, do it again. I mean, you know what it was, you just do the same thing, but how do you take responsibility so it leads to some kind of long-term compliance so that every single day you can feel fabulous. Right, and the beauty of the things that you're mentioning that you're taking out and putting in like, you know, long walks and taking out the processed food by eating this you know food that you're administering it's more about what what was not in the food right yes. um that th those are free you can do those i mean that's not going to hurt you at all in other words if you try to keep the four things that you've changed but only two of them are helping you really it still doesn't matter you know because all the other things that you're still keeping even if they're not the linchpin to your health it's still good to do some, you know, minor stretches, five, you know, for five minutes a day. And it's still good to, you know, what I'm saying, it's like, no matter what you find, even if they're not all the, the serious linchpins to your health, they're all great. And you can, you Right. Know. And the problem is we want quick results. Well, and we also don't want to do the long-term work. Of course, we don't want to do the long-term work. Speaking of long-term work, you're listening to WDRT, listener-supported radio with the skeptical naturopath. That's Paul Rattay and his sidekick, Christina DeRocher. Thanks for joining us today. Great. Uh, yeah, so this is the, the piece, right? So what do you need to do? What's the least amount that you need to do long-term? 
And again, people will be more likely to be very aggressive short term, but then they can't stick with it. I mean, it's just like exercise and after the, you know, January 1st. People get on an exercise bandwagon. Oh, yeah. And how long does oh, it yeah. last? Uh, maybe two weeks. <laughs> uh, maybe six. <laughs> it months. depends on the weather, too. So if the weather's crappy, they may do it longer. If the weather gets sure. nice too soon, then they stop. Right. How long do you follow a diet? It's the same thing with a diet. Right. How long are you going to you know, be on a ketogenic diet? Uh, yeah, as long as you can handle it. I mean, it's a You're lot like, of work. I want to eat a carbohydrate. I'm like, eat yeah. a carbohydrate. I mean, I, the carbohydrate is not going to kill you. It's just like, but, you know, it's this like strict adherence to something instead of saying, yeah, but what's the what's my lifestyle? And my lifestyle involves lots of different things and lots of different environments and things that I'm going to be challenged on and going from there. Yes. And so how do we... Like, what's the least amount that we need to do? But if you only do the least amount, it needs to be longer term to get the benefit from that. Mm -hmm. right? So if you just stretch every day or you take out processed food, how long does it take before you're like, wow, I feel better because I did this? Right. That's the aggressive, hey, I cleared it all out, which I'm good at. That's great. But it's the reintroduction. It's the retoxification that we need to be careful with or very, being very cognizant of that. And that's where people, that's the tough part. Right. Because you're like, hey, but I did an elimination diet for 30 days. I want to go back to what I was eating before. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, if you put them all in at once, I don't know which made the difference. Right. I mean, my engineer nature is like you change one variable at a time. <laughs> and if we change 20 variables for you going into this, we got to add them one at a time. And do you know how long it takes to add 20 variables back to your diet? Oh, well, each one needs how long? Yeah, right? I know, like three or four days. And so now you're talking three months. Mm -hmm. This 30-day this detox turns into four months. Yeah. I don't want to do it for four months. I only want to do it for, you know, four weeks. That's yes. what I committed to. Yeah. And then life gets in the way, right? I mean, we can stay on task for a short period of time, and we're totally attention deficit with our health. Well, yes. and to be fair, holidays. <sighs> Whatever, I mean. holidays, right? Eat before you go out, right? This is the best thing you can do when you're in a holiday situation. You have to not go hungry. Right. If right. you eat before you go, then you're like, okay, well, maybe I'll try that. Maybe I'll try that. It's not like, oh, wow, that tastes this really good. This is my good. meal. And yeah, yeah. So talk to us about um, the different fasting Oh, yeah, we should methods. get to that. Yes, mm -hmm. how much time we have, of course. 15 minutes. <laughs> but that's okay. Have, yeah. You've done a page of your, you've got, you've got the types of fasting and general fasting strategies left. All right, you're, so you're let's just... Well get into the experiment mode, right? So what does this look like, right? So I talked about a 30-day detoxification diet, right? And again, I mean, I could sell you $400 of supplements so that you can do that. And I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but I, I don't think you necessarily need the $400. Maybe some liver support or that kind of thing. But keep in mind what you need to deal with before you do any detoxification is to make sure you're not constipated. So constipation needs to be resolved. That's a digestive issue. That's not a detoxification issue. Well, it's kind of a detoxification issue, but it's, it's going to block, right? It's an obstacle to detoxification. you got to resolve the constipation. Okay. So doing a detox is not about, oh, I'm taking laxatives so that I have bowel movements and now I detox. No, no, no. Let's just separate those and deal with it as a separate entity. Right, because so it's not just going to be about taking laxatives. It's, again, not going to oh, be looking... Yeah, for sure. You're going to be looking at the underlying issue that brought that symptom about. Yeah, often up and upper-level things, this idea of toxic bile and gallbladder and protein digestion often plays a strong role in that, on top of fiber in the diet, right? Mm -hmm. So those are things to... But that's a separate issue. So let's say that's already been dealt with. Mm -hmm. Then we get into, you know, what kind of strategies can you use? So the most aggressive thing to do, as I mentioned, is a water fast, mm -hmm. right? So a water fast means that you're going to completely go into detox mode, right? Phase one is going to upregulate very quickly. And I'd say just that water needs to have electrolytes in it, right? So just make sure there's electrolytes in it rather than drinking distilled water or reverse osmosis water because those electrolytes are really important. They're kind of the sparks of life. So that's calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, chloride, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. And since keto, you can find those. Easy to find, yeah. right? So, um, but electrolyte, you make your own electrolyte, whatever, but you need electrolyte water, alkaline water, right? That kind of thing. That's what you want to do. So, but that's really aggressive. And that's going to be harder that you're going to get into, you know, about two days, even, yeah, 36, 48 hours that you may start losing some muscle mass. And mm. you, this is just going to happen. You're just trying to, but you're, that's part of the, that's part of the, part of the deal there, right? But you're trying to get to the detox quickly. The other options there is then to add something to this, right? So you could do a juice fast, 
right? So if you're doing green juice or specifically juices with more carbohydrates in them, right? So that would be carrots or beets or something along that line. If you're doing, you know, kale, kale celery juice, you're really not having this effect. I mean, you're getting benefit from those, but if you're doing some kind of carbohydrate in the juice, right? Or orange juice or apple juice or something like that. So now you're getting carbohydrates. So you're getting some energy from that and it becomes what we call protein sparing, right? So when you actually are getting energy from carbohydrates, your body won't harvest your muscle mass. Okay. So it's a way that you can kind of slow that down by mm -hmm. just adding that to that, right? But it's not going to be as quick a detox as a water fast is, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So juice is one thing you could add with carbohydrates. You could do bone broth. Right, so bone broth, now you're actually getting a pretty good mineral. Well, you're getting minerals as well with the juice fest, but now you're kind of saying, well, I'm trying to get more protein in here, right? Mm -hmm. And bone broth isn't going to be a really dense source of protein, but you are getting some protein, so you're not necessarily getting nothing. So you may have a little bit of a more of a buffer with that, if that makes sense. Yeah. But then there's no carbohydrate in that, right? And there's no, no glucose happening. So that's a, another version of uh, a theme on that. Yes. You could do an elemental diet. So an elemental diet now is uh, basically eating pre-digested protein, carbohydrates, or fat or fats. Yes. So elemental diets are things that, uh, you know, can be used for SIBO, right? SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, mm -hmm. which is a big deal today, right? Like everybody, if you got a gut issue, you have SIBO. And yeah, a lot of people have SIBO, don't get me wrong, but an elemental diet is a really aggressive way to kind of deal with the SIBO. But so what you're doing is you're eating, you're basically taking amino acids in free form. You're taking like, let's say medium chain triglycerides like coconut oil, and you'd get like just, you basically be doing just glucose, like glucose syrup or glucose. And are these in pill form? Or? Yeah, pill form, it'd be in a powder form, right? So the people, you know, Put people will water? sell an elemental diet. You can go online and look up, you know, make your own elemental diet and they'll tell you how to do it. It's just that those amino acids that are in there, so you're not eating protein, you're not eating a protein source, you're eating the individual amino acids, which the protein gets broken down into. And amino acids taste terrible. Yes. You eat something with protein, it tastes good. But when you take the amino acids and you taste it, they're terrible. Wow. You could put them in a capsule, but you got to do a lot of capsules. So generally speaking, because you can only fit so much in right. one capsule. So, uh, but that's something that is just a, another way that you could go about this to say, hey, I'm trying to get some nutrition, but I'm trying to rest my digestive right. tract, it's, right? It's the mother bird. Yeah, so fast. like people with inflammatory bowel disease and elemental diet can help keep them out of the hospital because they can get some nutrients and they don't have to digest it. They right. can completely rest that. So that works with the detoxification as well, right? So that's another kind of version on that. Um, Intermittent? Well, so protein sparing modified fast, let's talk about that one. So that now is just eating a protein source. So now you're eating protein, but you're not eating carbohydrates, you're not eating fat. And you're not necessarily eating pre-digested protein. Now you're eating chicken breast, turkey breast, white fish. So no fat, no carb. Right. So the, it's the like, boring fast. It's really boring, right? You think keto's boring? This is worse. I mean, it's keto and uh, the low fat diet combined, right? Or let's call it the Ornish diet uh, for all intents and purposes. So it's really low fat, it's really low carb. So all you're eating is protein. Now you have to digest it, but it's protein sparing. So by eating enough protein, we're trying to really keep your body from breaking down the muscle mass. Right. In fact, protein sparing modified fast really effective for weight loss. But again, how long are you going to sustain it? And it's, again, losing weight's not the same as maintaining weight loss, right? So it's something that may get you somewhere quicker, but it's not really a long-term sustainable kind of thing. But that's protein sparing modified fast. And I could tell you compliance on that. I get people to do a ketogenic diet. I can't get people to do a protein sparing modified really? fast. Really? Oh, it's very difficult. Because that was my reaction too. I'd rather do even the elemental, the, the mother bird <laughs> fasting over oh, this. Oh, I don't know. You eat those amino acids I know, and they're, they're really... They're, I'm sure they're gross, but but it's almost like eating the the chicken breast is 
almost there and then I, I you know it's it's a psychological thing for me I'm, ah, sure. I'm saying oh I, I have something but it's not enough and then it's worse than having water or just juice yeah yeah so <laughs> you know again, but that's me these are all different themes right sure. you could ch- choose whichever theme you want but just understand that so somebody that's not strong enough to detoxify water fast not the place to start correct right so correct. maybe it's doing something more modified and people say well a ketogenic diet is detoxification I, I mean, you're taking carbohydrates out. Yeah, there's some benefit from it. Is it really detoxification? I don't know, right? You're still on a all-you-can-eat meat them, buffet. and you're st- I mean, eating a lot of protein, even a protein-sparing modified fast, you're going to turn on your mechanism to deal with that protein. And a lot of people do couple keto with intermittent fasting. Correct. Well, what I think is that people that go keto find that they're able to intermittent fast. Because they're getting what they need. I think the cause is the changing the micro, macronutrient ratio, and then you're able, to, you're able to cut your meals because you're doing keto, instead of saying, I'm just going to cut my meals. So let's go to that. That's intermittent fasting, yeah. right? And there's all sorts the of most variations. most famous, it seems, right Yeah, now. I guess. So there's all sorts of different versions, right? There's sort of the, the daily eating window, right, where you can say, it's 16-8, right? Where 16 means there's a 16-hour fast in there, and you eat all your meals within an eight-hour period of time, which basically means you either drop dinner or you drop breakfast. Right. And so then you're on a 16-8, yeah? Or you could be on a 24, which means it's 20-hour fast, four hours eating window. You're eating one meal a day. Basically one meal. Well, you could maybe get two. Maybe you eat a meal, at the a very big beginning. meal at the beginning, and then a smaller snack, you know, four hours later. Yeah. That's actually ideal for me. That's if in my world, I, I intermittent fast, but I don't intermittent fast. I intermittent fast because it works for me. Right. And I feel You're better when I do that. You're not doing it on purpose. I'm not per doing se. it on purpose because I kind of learn about intermittent fasting. I'm like, well, I never really ate breakfast anyways. And, I was, and you know, then, I, then people say, well, I'm just going to drop breakfast. And some people do that and they feel terrible. Yeah. So oftentimes they need to change what they're eating so that they're able to skip a meal. And some people it works better that they skip dinner. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's not even so much that you have to, it has to be breakfast or it has to be dinner. What I care about is that you get an extended fast period in there. Mm-hmm. And I think 16 hours is sort of the minimum, right? If we just say 12-hour overnight fast, if we get to 16 hours, then you've got four hours on top of that where you're doing this cleanup work, right? Right. Or autophagy is the is the word we love in, in the, you know, the $2 medical term where she kind of basically just cleaning <laughs> Sounds up. Sounds Egyptian. Yeah, yeah. Cellular cleanup, right? So we're cleaning up the cells in the body kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And general fasting strategies. Maybe you've already sort of... Yeah, I think yeah, I covered you those. You actually have I? covered them. Yeah, yeah. so you well, did Well, okay, great. I'll say the, the one last thing. So then the idea is, do I just cut my calories? So you take your, your pie and you say, okay, instead of 2,500 calories, I'm going to eat 1,800 calories. So you cut it by 30% or whatever, right? And I, I would say, yeah, I'm all interested in cutting your calories. But the question is, how easy is that? Oftentimes, it's much more difficult to eat the same thing that you've been eating and cut the, cut the amount. Because, versus- it, again, it's like the mother bird di- uh, fast. You, you're there, right? You, this is a normal thing for you, and so it's well, easy no, to eat no, I think that perhaps you're eating 2,500 calories based on because of what you're eating. I often find that as a side effect of keto is that people find, like, I don't want to eat. And if they're tracking what they eat, they're like, I'm not even eating 1,000 calories a day, and I don't want to eat it, and I don't even look at another piece of bacon. I'm like, great. I don't have to tell you not to eat. You're telling me you don't want to eat, and you don't eat. Like, isn't that what we want? Right. Isn't that the goal? Right. To, I mean, I don't want you eating bacon. Satiated. Bacon's not a health food, yes. But, oh, it's an all-you-can-eat bacon buffet, yes. <laughs> but, but, but regardless, so they've actually cut their calories because they changed what they're eating. Whereas if we just cut the calories, oftentimes people go into, I mean, I put it on the sheet, semi-starvation neurosis, right? So they're, they go from, let's say they cut them in half from 2,400 to 1,200 calories, and they'll be like, oh my God, I'm starving, I'm starving, I need more. But yet they go on a protein-sparing modified fast where all they eat is chicken breast, and they eat 600 calories or 700 calories of chicken breast, and they don't want to eat. Yes. You'd be like, well, wait a minute. How it's because it's different, right? It's the quality mixture. Quality versus quantity. Yeah, quality. So it's the f- fuel mix, right? So the fuel right. mix is more important than the amount. And yeah. if you change the fuel mix, then the amount may take care of itself that right. you don't need as much. And again, that's not to say everybody needs to be on a ketogenic diet. Other people may go and say, I need to be on a low-fat diet. Some people do much better on a low-fat diet. And they're able to cut their calories because that's more conducive to them, right? 
Mm-hmm. And again, that's the end of one where you experiment with things and say, what, what, what makes a difference and how do I eat so that I can skip a meal and not get all worked up about it and not be like starving and that kind of thing where I'm like, oh, I don't eat breakfast. Okay, I won't eat breakfast today. So t- tell me one last question. What do you say to someone who says, you know, I tried this thing and, it, and I really didn't feel good, right? Like, how do you tell? How do you tell that it's actually working? Yeah, that's a good question. What are you going to look at? Are we going to look at a blood value? Do you get your blood drawn and say, here it is? Or is it just how you feel? Or is it somebody coming back and saying, this is the best I've felt in 10 years? Or I came back and it's, you know, the 30-day detox. You're like, oh my gosh, I feel fantastic. Or is it possible that they didn't do it long enough and so they don't feel good, but they were going to get to a point where they felt better? Maybe. So that is a little bit on how aggressive were they on the front end. So the more aggressive they are, they'll get there quicker, but you may have a little bit more, you know, fight back in the initial part, right? Versus, you know, so if I'm working with a diabetic, I usually have to have them decrease their carbohydrates over a longer period of time. So four weeks may not be enough. It's a starting point. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You're listening to WDRT um, listener-supported radio, The Skeptical Naturopath with Paul Rattay. Paul Rattay is going to be giving his fifth lecture called Reactive Eating. Learn to eat proactively and stay off the blood sugar roller coaster. This is part of his free will donation year-long series at the Commons on Jefferson Street. The next one will be Saturday, May 13th from 8.30 a.m. until 10 a.m. The first half hour is a Q&A and the second hour is Paul talking about reactive eating. Thanks so much, Paul. Always enjoy it. Thanks, Christina. Take care. Bye-bye.